0: All right, just a few announcements for you before we proceed in our service. So in case um, you have not yet, um, register for our five-year anniversary party. It's October the 22nd. Yes, it's very exciting. It's right down the road at Banning Mills. Um, I believe that it's supposed to start pretty soon after church, like 1 p.m. ish, if you can. Please register to let us know if you are planning on coming so that we are able to provide food for everyone who wants it. You can register most easily, or the only way. The only way you can register is through the Church Center app, which is not complicated if it worries you or you have some anxiety about it. Ask me because I did too, and I got it, and it is actually very helpful. Um, But yes, register on the app. If there are some other things that you are interested in, like zip lining, you will have to call them on the phone and schedule that, and I am not even 100% sure if that is still available. But um, October the 22nd, around 1 p.m. at Banning Mills is our five-year anniversary celebration, and you want to be there because it'll be so fun. Um, If you are a woman and you have not yet registered for the Woven Conference, which is this Friday and Saturday you still have time to do that, so um, we'll open the doors around 6.30 on Friday. You can come then. Read my face though, that's going to give me anxiety because there's a lot of things to plan for you. A lot of the speakers are wanting to get you um, little takeaways. There's of course food, and so we are not going to turn you away if you come Friday night, but if you could register today, that would be like really great. Um, Our own ladies are the ones who are speaking. And I realize if we had outsiders, it would be amazing too. But I am so thrilled that we have so many women in our church that are so talented and and so anointed and so willing to um, tell us what God has been laying on their hearts. And so I don't think you want to miss it if you're able to be there. We're also really excited that Mike is teaching us this morning. So let's pray for him really quickly. God, thank you so much. For today, thank you that um, we have uh, willing vessels through people in our church, just like Mike. I pray right now that you would just settle any nerves if they exist. God, I'm going to say that there are not any that exist. But if there are, if there's any butterflies or nerves about, about just presenting the word that you have laid on his heart, that you would just get rid of them, and he would just walk up here, and he would have this holy confidence that that what he is going to be teaching us is straight from your heart and not his own. Thank you so much just for his boldness and his obedience and his love for you and his love for us. Um, God, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, Amen.
1: All right, I told the first service that I was really excited that Justin allowed me the opportunity to continue in Matthew where we've spent the last couple of months. He has leading us through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, As I got ready this week, I come across a a quote from a man, Dr. James Montgomery Boyce. He says, religion is seeking after God in man's image. Christianity is God seeking man and moving to redeem him by the death of his son, Jesus Christ. And I was sitting and thinking, and you know, that's really, aren't we all just a little bit like that? You know, if you, if you, if you came here this morning, you're either a Christian, it's calling you that way, but we tend to want to come under our own circumstances by our own means we want in other words we we want to make the rules but that's not what god called us to christ is calling us and we need to be redeemed according to his rules and his standards And that's really what Jesus has done in the Sermon on the Mount. If you go back and think about all the subjects and topics that's been covered in the last few months that's brought us up to the seventh chapter. From this point forward, it's gonna be kind of a recap. Jesus has spent time laying out the precepts, what the behavior looks like for children of God, for those who are entering the kingdom of God. It's what this last two chapters have been about, right? Personal relationships, the beatitudes. This is how we are to behave. He's revealed the truer definition of the law. So many times we think that we come to Christ and law no longer applies to us. And yet in chapter six, he informs us that he come not to do, do away with the law, but to fulfill it on our behalf. Christ also spent time as he's gone through the Sermon on the Mount opposing the Jews and the Pharisees. These are people... From the nation of Israel who were entrusted with the scriptures. These are believers of Jehovah. They believe. They believe in God. They were given the scriptures. It was their responsibility. The original scriptures come to the Jews. They carry in the flesh the mark of the covenant. And yet Jesus has spent time in the last couple of chapters telling them you've missed the kingdom of God. You, you have not entered into this relationship. You have missed the mark. Christ has spent this time because from the very beginning of Christianity, right off the bat, before, before even the New Testament was completed, we find in John's writings and Paul's writings and Peter's writings that heresy and heretics, false teachers, false doctrine, have already entered the church. They're already at war with false teaching. Heresies like the agnostics. An agnostic would say, well, maybe there is a God, but we can't possibly know him. We had Gnostics who said, well, yeah, there's a God, but you can only know him by special transcendent intellect. You gotta be really smart. You gotta have the secret code to know God. That's what the Gnostics would say. And from the beginning and still today we fight antinomianism and an idea of easy believism. This is not the Christianity that Jesus taught. It's not the Christianity that the New Testament writers taught. So we come to Matthew 7, and verses 13 and 14. Matthew 7:13 and 14. This is still Jesus teaching. These are the words of Christ. And he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. This is a warning. It's a statement that so contradicts so much of what the modern evangelical church preaches and teaches, and yet here it is. In Luke thirteen twenty-four, Jesus says basically the same thing, but he uses some different words. It says, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many I tell you will seek to enter and will not be able. This word strive that our English Bibles use as a translation from the Greek word means to agonize. It's the same Greek word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 9 when he's comparing our journey as Christians to competition in sports. It means to compete. Paul uses the same Greek word in 1 Timothy six twelve. Our English Bible is translated as fight, same Greek word, used three different places, agonize, compete, fight. It's not easy. It's not easy being a Christian. It's a narrow gate and a narrow way. We have to agonize and fight and compete. So what is this door that Christ is talking about, this gate? Again, in the Greek, the word that our English Bible is used for gate. It's two separate words from the word door, but they had the same meaning. The only difference was doors generally an inside, gates normally outside. What does a gate do? Why do we have gates? I want to let some people in. I want to let these people on this side in, but I don't want those people on that side in so I open the gate for them I'll close the gate for you guys but my gate's narrow so all you can't come through at the same time John 10 9 says Jesus speaking again says I'm the door if anyone enters through me he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture John, four, <clears throat> John 14 John 6 did I lose it I'm gonna learn Gino I promise I'm gonna get the hang of this John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me unless the Father brought them. We have been given this idea by modern church, modern evangelicals, modern doctrine of how easy it is. Just believe. Just accept the invitation. That's all you got to do to be a Christian. If we can just get you to come down here and sign the card, then you're in. But that's not what Jesus teaches, it's not what the New Testament writers teach. Jesus said that gate's narrow and that way is hard. I mentioned there are some that preach and teach that there is no law, that's called antinomianism. It's been around since the church began. Right away we come to this conclusion that Christ died for our sins. And the law no longer applies to us. It's a misconception. It's a lie. What scripture says is we've been delivered from the curse of the law, not from the law. We're not under the curse of the law. In other words, by our inability to keep the law does not keep us out of the kingdom of God. Christ fulfilled that law for us. That's how we enter through the gate. But that law still applies to us. If you're here and you call yourself a Christian and you think it's okay to steal your neighbor's stuff because the law doesn't apply to you, then you've believed the lie. You've entered through the wide gate. You're on the big road that goes to destruction because nobody in here really believes it's okay to steal from your neighbor or to murder. But yet we're quick when we want to paint this rosy picture of our Christianity when we want to make God in our image. There's no law, but there is law. Christ said in chapter six of this very sermon, he didn't come to do away with the law, but to fill it. We have the same problem with this idea of easy believism. I got that term from a John MacArthur book. My wife who helps me type this up. Says, you know, that's not a word. Believism, it's not a word, I don't care. He used it, I'll be all right, it's his fault. That's a quote, you know. I have a couple more quotes from a man named A.W. A. Pink. A preacher back in the 40s, wrote a commentary on, on this Sermon on the Mount that we've been studying. The first one, he says, there is plenty of room for all. Speaking of this wide road, this easy believism, this this no law idea of Christianity. He says, there is plenty of room for all. Men may walk in the ways of their hearts and in the sight of their eyes, give rein to their lust and full indulgence to their inclinations and none shall hinder them. Sound familiar? That sounds like the brother or sister that we talk to when we confront sin and say, oh, "Well, you know that's, that doesn't. That's, that's, that, 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 that's law. You can't come at me with that. I'm not under law. He also said they have broken down the commandments of God, which are designed to hedge about them, to be a hedge about them. It is therefore a pleasant and easy way to the flesh, for no inquiry or diligent search has to be made in order to find it. No resolution. No perseverance are called for in order to continue treading it. No self-denial has to be practiced to remain therein. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way which seems right to man, but its ends is the way of death. These are lies that are taught and preached in what we consider Christian Churches. And if we buy that deception, this is the scary thing. Just like the Pharisees who believed in God and who had the scriptures. If we continue to preach and teach and believe those things, then we have people sitting in this room who believe they're Christian and they're going to hell. Because nobody told them the truth. Because they didn't take time to see what Jesus himself said about it. Man's ways is the wide way. It's the wide gate. Nobody on that road cares what you're doing. Matter of fact, nobody on that road dares tell you of your sin or your iniquity because to do so would put them in jeopardy of their own sin and iniquity. Jesus and the New Testament writers preach and command something different. They preach faith and obedience, repentance, a lordship of Christ and sanctification. And I know what you're thinking. Boy, you broke out the law this morning. It's not law. There's no law, law involved in here. Grace is by salvation. Or salvation is by grace, excuse me. It's the only way we get it. Jesus is the only way. There is no other way. This is not about keeping laws. This is not about keeping a, a, a set of rules. It's about understanding what Christ has called us to do and what grace produces in us. You see, Jesus went through the Sermon on the Mount. And if you go back and study and think about these things, you'll come to the conclusion that's impossible. Nobody can do that. Nobody's able to do all the things that he listed in the Sermon on the Mount. We just go back and visit two. Same thing in the first service. It's pretty easy for all of us in this room, I assume, to have lived our lives up to this point and we have not committed murder. Right? Since you're here, we would assume you're here, not in prison, you didn't commit murder. Jesus said, if you hated your brother, you committed murder. That's hard. That's not easy. That's hard. He said the same thing about adultery. How many men and women have not cheated on their spouse? But boy, you had those thoughts at some point. You're guilty. You just failed. That's why we need Jesus, the gatekeeper, right? It's grace. It's not about... Jesus' point is that you can't keep these things. The point to the warning is that he is the gate. He is the only way. When we come through the gate by means of Jesus Christ, the blood of the cross, we are given grace. And grace produces these things. Grace produces faith. Even our faith comes from God. It is a gift from God. Obedience comes from grace. Repentance, Lordship. John MacArthur says, Grace is not a ticket to live in the flesh. It's the power to live in the spirit. Grace is not a ticket to live in the flesh. It is the power to live in the spirit. Grace produces these things in us. If you don't have these things, Then you have to check yourself. We're told in Scripture to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're told over and over to check ourselves, check the fruit. Those who come to Christ or say that they have come to Christ and have no real faith that produces good works. They have no real faith that produces obedience. There is no lordship. There are some that preach and teach that we can accept salvation from Christ and reject his lordship. Now imagine and think about that for a minute. I want you to save me, but I don't really want to do what you ask me to do. That's fire insurance. That's what I've heard it called. I told the first, those people are looking for fire insurance. They're not looking for a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no love. There is no reverence. You just don't want to go to hell. So you have bought the lie that says, if I just believe, I can avoid hell. No, you didn't. It's not what Jesus says. It's not what we're taught. Not from scripture. You can't get to heaven that way. You can't enter the gate that way. John 3:36 Again, this is Jesus speaking. It said, "He who believes, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will see will not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him." So much for believing and not obeying, right? So much for salvation without, without lordship. You see, the problem with the word believe is we use that word so lightly and we don't really understand the meaning of the word. The Greek word that is used as translated into believe represents a complete and total commitment. Lordship says that Christ has the absolute authority in our lives to command the man he owns us is what lordship means. What about repentance? We've got preachers and teachers running the world says you sign the card, you're in. Come and said the prayer, you're in and then the poor soul leaves church and goes right back out into the world on Monday and behaves the same way he did the Saturday before he came to church. Jesus again in Matthew 4:17 says from that or not Jesus Matthew says in 4:17 from that time Jesus began to preach and say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you. How you turn to God from idols and serve a living and true God and wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. They turn from idols to worship the true God. There's a change. Repentance means we have changed our mind about us. There are some that teach, well, repentance just means you changed your mind about who Christ was. No, that's not the repentance that Jesus preached. That's not the repentance that John preached. A truly saved, a truly regenerate person has repentance. We come to a place where we acknowledge our sin as disgusting in the same way that God acknowledges it. We cannot continue on in it. Sometimes we're trapped. Sometimes it comes back to bite us. Sometimes it sneaks up on us. But repentance means we have changed our mind about those things that we have done. We don't make excuses for our sin. We confess them. We ask God for the grace of repentance to change our mind about it. Because that's the only way we get rid of some of the sins that we have allowed in. There's no other way. Jesus is the way. Acts 2.36 says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Lord and Christ. Again, there's no saving without obedience. There's no salvation without submission. Let's visit this idea of this being easy, just taking the invitation You guys remember the rich young ruler? Came to Jesus. What do I have to do, Jesus? He didn't accept the invitation. He was invited. How come? Wanted all his money, right? All of it. Some of us thought it was hard putting our little money in the plate this morning. Jesus said, no, I want them all. Go give it all away and follow me. No, man, that's hard, right? That's hard. That's a hard thing. That's not easy. There's nothing easy about that. What about the prodigal son? It seemed like he was already in the gate, right? He's living in daddy's house. He's got all the benefits of, that daddy can provide. But yet, he was more interested in that wide gate, in that wide road. I want to go do my thing. I want to go live like they live. I don't want to stay here and have to stay under this supervision and under these precepts. I don't want to live the way daddy wants me to live. I want to go live like that. Where'd that lead to? The pig pen. What about the marriage feast? Remember, the rich king invited all the buddies, all of his friends, everybody in town to the wedding feast nobody came they were invited nobody came why didn't they come they were too busy with their farms and their businesses and their slaves and doing their thing doing their wide road thing and as far as just believing Once we come to understand what's meant by belief, a true faith, a faith that produces good works, a faith that produces obedience, a faith that produces reverence. Scripture also tells us that even the demons believe. This belief that we pass off is just believe and you're in the gate. Are the demons going to the kingdom with us? I don't think so. It's got to be a different kind of belief. There has to be a different kind of belief. 2nd Peter. I want to read one last scripture to you. 2nd Peter 1, starting in verse 2. Says, "Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness" Through the, true, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust now for this very reason also applying all diligence there's another one of those words agonizing competing be diligent In your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For these qualities are yours and are increasing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind, short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Be all the more diligent. That's what this warning is about, right? Don't be deceived into thinking because you were born of a certain family or because you carry a certain sign in your flesh or have a certain certificate on your wall or because you said a certain prayer that you're there. It is rebirth by the blood of Jesus Christ that brings you there. That is the only way through the gate. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of the Lord, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. God in three different places in the Old Testament basically was the same words. Deuteronomy 30, Jeremiah 21, and I think the other one is in Isaiah. God, in the Old Testament way of laying it out, says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I have set before you the way of life and the way of death. Two gates. Seemingly, we get to choose. But it is by the power of the blood of Christ and the grace of God that we'll enter through that small gate and continue on that narrow path. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray that you would reveal to us the truth concerning this word. Father, I pray that you would reveal to us the truth concerning these two gates, these two ways of life. Father, I pray that each and every one of us that profess to be Christians would indeed understand the struggle and the fight and the diligence it takes to call ourselves children of God, to enter that gate. Father, I pray that each one of us realize the help that we have. I pray we realize that the only way to enter that gate and the only way to stay on that path is by your grace and through the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, remind us to check ourselves and look for the fruit and the good works that your word says will be produced in us As children of God. Christ's name, amen.